the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Welcome back to Bowl Season Daily. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson getting you set for one of the busiest days of bowl game action here. Saturday, December 18th. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six bowl games. More than even Tom can fit on one hand. Um, It's going to start at 11 a.m. We've got our last kick at 9.15 p.m. A lot to get to. We'll move in chronological order here, starting with the Boca Raton Bowl. Fantastic matchup between App State and Western Kentucky. Bailey Zappi is sniffing uh, Joe Burrow's single-season touchdown record. He would need, uh, I think, a 300-yard game would get him past B.J. Simons the former Texas Tech quarterback in terms of the single season uh, passing total. He's got a whopping 5,500 yards. He's almost certain to pass Brandon Dowdy for Western Kentucky history. App State, you know, very successful program in the Sun Belt era, among the most successful programs in all of FBS since 2014. So as you're, as you're going into this one to get, to get you started, um, like what's, there are lots of different storylines to grab onto. What are the things that have you most excited in this matchup? Uh, I, I think, honestly, the Western Kentucky offense is the most exciting part of this. I, uh, offensive coordinator Zach Kitley is going gone to Texas Tech to be the offensive coordinator there, but he was brought to Western Kentucky this year to you know fix the offense, and he brought Bailey Zappi with him, and he brought, you know, a really high-powered, up-tempo kind of air raid spread attack. And I think that even though he's gone, there's still the same playbook. I still expect Western Kentucky team that was the second-highest scoring team per game in the season behind only Ohio State will probably still be capable of putting up a lot of points. So I think that's fun. I also think you know, this is an App State team that came close to winning the Sun Belt again, and it is one of the better group of five programs out there. So these are always kind of fun, little interesting matchups between a really fun offense and a really powerful group of five teams. So it should lead to a decent game for all of us. I was talking to our friend Robbie Calland about this game yesterday, and uh, we we decided that 11 a.m. in Boca is a time and place. Mm-hmm. It's a unique, it's don't be surprised if, if we catch either, like, I don't know, I'm not going to be having any play on the total and listen to the locks podcast. If you want uh, to get in on this Western Kentucky, their mere presence in a game is going to give you a high number. 67 is the over under app favored by three points for those looking for the wagering angle. But I would not be surprised if we catch either a sluggish start or just like, one of those totally bananas starts with either a huge mistake or a big special teams play opening kickoff gets run back because 11 a.m. in Boca is a 
it's a it's a unique time for a uh, for a bowl game. Well, as a central time zone or 11 a.m. is a perfectly normal time for a football game for me. So I, I don't know if it'll have that big of an impact. But I do think that like it, it has confused me a number of times where I'll see it says 11 a.m. And I'm thinking like, oh, OK, the site's showing central times now. And then it's like, no, no, that's Eastern. I'm like, oh, wow. So I'm going to have football at 10 a.m., which I am certainly not going to complain about. Yeah, exactly. And and like you mentioned, just the way that we are loaded up, the pacing of the day is great. Uh, we will continue to give you all that viewing information. ESPN, by the way, is where you'll get this started. So uh, prediction time, you know, what? which way are you leaning on uh, on App State Western Kentucky? Which way should the good Cover 3 listeners who are trying to uh, to get in those last minute bets, which way would you suggest they uh, they go? Well, I I don't love anything for this game pregame. I'll probably bet this live in reality if I bet it at all. But I will say, if you look at how the trends are going, because a lot like bowl season is when there's a lot of public e action on stuff. App State is getting nearly sixty percent of the bets, but from what I'm looking at, it's only got about fifteen percent of the money. Yikes! So that's something to keep an eye on. But also, this is just a situation where, yeah, it's I. Th- I probably would take Western Kentucky before App State, but I feel like if it's at three, that's probably you're very. There's a very good chance of a push with this spread and the total. I don't know. Like you said, there's the early morning start time. It's going to be windy. I don't know if that'll have an impact, but I would probably lean over. Don't do that. I lean that way. I'm not yeah. going to do it, but I'm leaning. Listen, we spend so much time telling people to take early game unders in college basketball, and college basketball season is is you know creeping into my head. So I I couldn't I couldn't do that. I I could not. Neutral site unders. Neutral site <laughs> unders. Yeah, don't take an under in a Western Kentucky game. That's terrifying. Uh, I as I said on the locks pod, I'm riding with App State. The initial fun talking point is the fact that they've been killer in the postseason. You win a 13 game postseason winning streak at the FCS level, make the jump to the FBS. They've never lost a bowl game. They're like just their wins. They are, I think the sixth winningest FBS program Mm -hmm. since 2014. They're just a, just a quality group. And Sean Clark is going for his third uh, bowl win. This would be the one after Scott Satterfield left one last year, I believe, at the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and he's going for three and zero in the postseason. But very, very fun game. I, I would lean App State, but awesome, awesome way uh, to get our Saturday started. Two fifteen Eastern on ESPN. This will follow right on the heels of the Boca Raton Bowl. It is the New Mexico Bowl, and we'll be out in Albuquerque for Fresno State and UTEP. It is the PUBG. PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl, which we found out yesterday was a video game, or I found out yesterday was a video game. Who knows? Um, This is interesting as we look at the Fresno State head coaching situation. Caleb DeBoer, of course, took the Washington job, a a hire that I think we gave some thumbs up to for Washington. Lee Marks will be serving as the interim head coach. UTEP coming in trying to uh, reverse a poor recent trend. Not only are they back in the bowl season for the first time in seven years, well, they've lost their last six bowl games. UTEP has not won a bowl game since 1967. Sun Bowl against a long Ole Miss. Time. Yeah. Uh, UTEP also didn't finish the season all that well, losing four of their last five games after starting six and one to reach bowl eligibility. And we do have a spread that, that seems to indicate 
one team is, is much better prepared, or at least uh, one team has been much better this season. Fresno State carrying uh, an 11 and a half point as a 11 and a half point favorite, uh, 51 and a half is the total. Coaching, you know, UTEP in the bowl season. What what are the big storylines for you? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things you always have to worry about when it comes to bowl games are motivation. And I think that while they're big underdogs, I think we we know UTEP wants to play in this game because this mm. is, you know, for them to get to a bowl is huge. And like you said, they haven't won a bowl game in like 500 years. So <laughs> they're going to want to win this bowl game and they're playing a good team and it's like a chance for them to kind of prove themselves against the Fresno team that, you know, beat UCLA earlier this year and has had some big wins and was competitive in the mountain West. So I'm interested in this one. What I, what remains to be seen and is really kind of making it difficult to truly know what's going to happen is whether or not Jake Hayner is going to play in this game because Jake Hayner originally is Fresno state's quarterback. When Caleb DeBoer left to take the Washington job, Jake Hayner entered the transfer portal and it was widely assumed he was going to be following DeBoer to Washington, which, haha, is where Hayner started his career before transferring to Fresno State. And whatever, maybe if Hayner stayed at Washington, there's Jimmy Lake is still the coach and things haven't changed. I don't know, but that didn't happen. Hayner left the portal, came back to Fresno. Uh, former Indiana quarterback Michael Penix is now transferred to Washington. But last I've checked, I've been trying to find out, it's still somewhat of a game-time decision as for whether or not Hayner is going to start in this game or play in this game. And we don't know yet, and that's going to have a big impact because Hayner is you know, a huge part of this Fresno State offense. So that's something I think you need to keep your eye on before you do anything with this game. Oh, I'd fire on UTEP. Anything double digits. Let's go. Motivation factor picks up. Um, I... I would not want to lay a huge number with an interim head coach and a quarterback that I'm not too sure about. So yeah. double check that for sure. Um, but I don't think it was a lock for me. Before we move on, you took me back to a fantastic time in college football history when we had Jacob Eason, Jake Hayner, and Jacob Sermon yes. Yes. sharing a quarterback room in an actual quarterback battle that carried significance within the Pac-12. We just didn't know whether it was Jacob, Jake, or Jacob that was going to end up leading the Huskies' offense. But as long as John Donovan's there, we can we've got about the same set of expectations. You know, there's a bunch of Jakes by the lake out there in Seattle. Jakes by the lake. That's normally you want to stay away from the Jakes by the lake. They'll get you in trouble. Spend <laughs> too much time hanging out with the Jakes by the lake. You'll want to go up. tubing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So that that will be going on. Uh, on ESPN 215, about midway, early stages of that game, we get things going in Shreveport, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. BYU, number 13 in the final college football playoff selection committee rankings after finishing 10-2 and two on the season, going up against UAB. This is another, I would say, that like a Western Kentucky App State uh, and like uh, the primetime kick on ABC, feels like we're getting some really good games, some of the better, you know, like pre-December 28th kind of games here at the beginning. Uh, so check this out. UAB, 73% against the spread this season, including covering their last three. UA UAB, excuse me, 73% uh, this season. UAB also 4-1 and one against the spread as an underdog. And if you have been out here betting UAB unders, you are following a trend from years ago, my friend. Now, maybe only like two years ago, but still, 
UAB overs have been the play. The over has hit in four of the last five UAB games. BYU has a, a very explosive offense. So as we're looking at this game, we got BYU minus six and a half, over under about 55. Pretty fun matchup. You know, not much travel for UAB, a lot of travel for BYU. What's your expectation here? I The interesting matchup here is going to be UAB's run defense against BYU and Tyler Algier. The, the UAB run defense has been good all season long, but this is a pretty good running back, and UAB's run defense has struggled in games against better competition. So I I do fear that, like, I like this matchup, but I, I do think that there could be a, there's real blowout potential here. I, I locked up the over because I do think it's going to be high scoring and I do think BYU is going to be able to put up points. The question is going to be whether or not UAB can keep up because BYU's defense like, is not nearly as solid as its offense. It's not nearly as efficient. It'll give up big plays, and I think maybe UAB could take advantage of that. But if you break down UAB's season, they're 8-4, and four, and their losses, I mean, they got killed by Georgia. 56 to 7. They lost to Liberty 36 to 12, which really no shame in that, I guess. And then they lost a close one to Rice 30 to 24 at home, which was a surprise, but this was a Rice team that got better at the end of the season and that's when that game was played. But if you look at their wins, like they beat Marshall 21 to 14 and they beat UTEP 42 to 25. Both those teams are 7 to 5, both the respectable conference USA opponents. It's just their other wins are all against Jacksonville State, North Texas early in the season when North Texas was bad, Tulane which struggled all year, FAU, Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech. So this is a team that like if you look at their results when they've stepped up in class a little bit, it has not gone well and I think BYU is probably aside from Georgia the best team that they will have faced all season. So I do fear this one gets kind of ugly. I think you can say that confidently. I don't think there's anything fraudulent about BYU. And if BYU doesn't show up here, I don't think that that exposes BYU as being a team that was smoke and mirrors for uh, how good they were during the season. It would be a, a motivation or a travel or a, you know, some other angle that, that is not uh, them not delivering the same caliber of football that they had. I mean, it's just thumping teams, you know, mm -hmm. just really, really good. And, and I think that some of that earlier in the season was my overreaction to them being better than I expected as I was really ready to to fade BYU. And, and even as they were getting those Pac-12 wins, I kind of thought that they would come crashing to earth. But the schedule lightened up and they weren't playing down to competition. I mean, they were just working, workmanlike fashion uh, on their way to another double-digit win season. A win would get them to two straight 11-win seasons on the Locks podcast. I did also, I had BYU, you've got the over. Uh, we we see kind of the same game playing out, I think. Yeah, I like I said, my only fear is that I think UAB will be able to move the ball a little bit, but even that I'm not super confident in. Mobile, Alabama, I assume that this is in the site of the Senior Bowl. I believe so. I mean, if you got that stadium, might as well, right? If Frisco I, can get the most use out of Toyota Stadium possible, then I sure hope Mobile is able to uh, to get it in here in the Senior Bowl Stadium. Mobile's just got like 15 different football stadiums. It's like, yeah, use any one that you want. It's, fine. it's Alabama. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Um, all right. So Liberty against Eastern Michigan. The Flames are nine and a half point favorite over under a 58 and a half. Malik Willis at the time of this recording, is still scheduled to be in the lineup. That is massive for our expectations of Liberty offensively. Eastern Michigan, it's uh, its path to 7-5 and five involved in just sort of in my notes. Like, I never had them creeping up into uh, like 
considering them elite tier of the Mac or a Mac championship contender, mm-hmm. but they came up with some really key wins in conference play to be able to get the job done and be able to finish here in uh, the postseason. Unfortunately, the postseason has not been all that good to head coach Chris Creighton in Eastern Michigan, 0-3 in their last three bowl appearances. So Liberty uh, knocked off Georgia Southern in 2019 and Coastal Carolina in 2020. Both of those were as an underdog. Liberty now finds themselves as a sizable favorite. What's your expectation here? You can't expect anything from these teams because they were both really inconsistent all season long. Like you mentioned, Eastern Michigan and the MAC. I feel like they were the perfect MAC team in that every single week, like they were capable of beating the team they were playing, whoever it was, by 40, and they were just as capable of losing to them by 40. And you didn't know who to expect. And then there's Liberty, which is coming into the game like it started seven to two, and it finished the season with three straight losses to Ole Miss, Louisiana, and Army. Granted, pretty good teams, but coming in on a three-game losing streak. And I think that the most interesting aspect of this game, if you don't have a rooting interest or you're not betting on it, is probably Malik Willis. And Mm -hmm. I think that he is going to play, and I think that he should play because, frankly, he hasn't had the best season. And to be, you know, most people aren't watching Liberty games. This is a game, since it's a bowl game, and it's mostly in kind of like a standalone window since the bowl games are spaced out pretty well today. Like, you're going to have a lot of eyes on you that aren't typically on you. And you're facing a team in Eastern Michigan who I think you could play, you know, you could perform well against. Like, this is not a stalwart Eastern Michigan defense. I feel like he could put up good numbers. But this is a guy who, like, going into the season was projected as a first-round pick based on his traits and his talent and his athletic ability who has not really lived up to it this year. Like, he's completed just over 61% of his passes. He's only averaging 8.3 yards per attempt. And he's got 24 touchdowns but he's got 12 interceptions to go with it. Of course, he also brings the run element, which is huge, but I think that this is a chance for Malik Willis to play well and to put some some good plays on tape for NFL teams to evaluate in a year in which there's really not a no-doubt QB prospect. And I think that, you know, recency bias happens in NFL front offices just as much as it happens anywhere else in real life. So for me... I'm going to be watching this game to see Malik Willis and see how he plays to get a better idea. Because like I said, it's hard to really follow him closely during the regular season playing at Liberty. When do you start mock drafts? I believe my first one is usually after the Super Bowl. So like first or second week of February. Do you have you even I mean, this is I do not have the expectation that you have. And I, I know that you'll have your quarterback grades with your quarterback formula will be part of you know that post you know early uh you know january february march kind of process but to your uh, eye and in your expectation just sort of as things are knocking around in your head is is malik willis uh where does malik willis stand among quarterbacks who are draft eligible for this 2022 draft not in the top five for me right now okay like that's that me and if it's not in the top five, then even in quarterback heavy drafts, it's probably a day two, second, third round kind of selection. Yeah, I think that's I mean, that's the thing. It's always hard to know where quarterbacks are gonna be drafted because they are so overvalued and they have to be. So I mean, he could be a second round pick, but I feel like he, I'd probably put like a fourth round grade on him. Yeah, I'm not good with the grades. I think that's why I always try to ask, like, okay, among the other players at his position, <laughs> where where he's like a QB seven. Right. Like, yeah, I, I feel like if I'm a team who can take time to develop a QB, 
like I've got a guy that I know is my starter for the next few years, Malik Willis would be a great guy to have. But, you know, that's very seldom the situation in which any team is drafting a QB. It's usually a team drafting a guy. It's like, we got to have him right now. And I don't know if Malik Willis is somebody I want starting for my NFL team next year. He's a guy I would like to coach up a little bit and get a little more involved, fix some things. And then I think he has a chance to be pretty good. Utah State and Oregon State is the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl uh, in SoFi Stadium, the site of an amazing over on <laughs> Thursday night. That was, yeah. The Chargers. Shout out. Shout out to the newsletter. Subscribe to the CBS Sports HQ newsletter <laughs> written by Tom Fernelli in the PM, handing out an over. Your boy went to sleep at 14-13 early fourth quarter. Woke up and cackled. Just just laughed. It was what was funny is, you know, like I was I was felled by my own numbers. Like the analytics that I used to say this game was going over were also the same analytics that nearly cost me the over because they kept going for it on fourth down and failing. <laughs> yeah, there was because like when I'd gone to bed, I'd already seen like Mahomes put that pass to Kelsey in the dirt and all those sort of failed scoring attempts and settling for field goals. I was like so many red zone opportunities blown. No way. Mm-hmm. Just laughter. Well, first, first, just laughter. Amazing. All right. But more importantly, here on Saturday night, uh, Oregon State fired up to be here with Jonathan Smith. Utah State coming off a 10 win season, a Mountain West championship, and a Mountain West championship game where you put a 40 burger on one of the best defenses in the whole daggum country. So, uh, Oregon State, seven-point favorite, over-under at 67. 67 seems to be one of those. It's like 67s, 55s, a yeah. lot of the you-go-figure-it-out you type numbers. Uh, what, what are our expectations here for what could be a really, really fun, potentially up-and-down kind of game? It's the Gary Anderson Bowl. Utah State and Oregon State. Have yeah. Gary do the damn coin flip. <laughs> like I think, I think Utah State fans have better memories of Gary overall, at least from his first stint with them, although the second stint probably left a bad taste in their mouth, and Oregon State fans, I don't think, are big fans. So they can all just get together there at SoFi Stadium and commiserate about Gary Anderson. But I think this is this is an interesting game because like Oregon State for years has been one of our little pet teams on the Cover 3 podcast. Back you know, it was you, me, and Barton. We were big Beaver fans, and we were rooting for them. And I think Utah State is a team that you and I, the two of us, have kind of been cheerleaders for all season long because it's an, it's a great story in that it's the unexpected kind of underdog comes out of nowhere and has a big year. But there's also so much more behind it with Blake Anderson leaving Arkansas State to take this job. And it was kind of a weird move. Like, in a vacuum, a coach leaving Arkansas State for Utah State, you're like, that that seems lateral, but with everything that Blake Anderson had gone through, he lost his wife, he lost his dad in a short amount of time. You could tell it was just going through a thing where he felt like he needed a fresh start somewhere else to move on and start over. And he found it at Utah State, and it's been an immediate upgrade. And like you said, they won the Mountain West, and we've been fans of them all season long because the one thing about that team is like they're not always the best team on the field, but nobody ever plays harder than they do. And that has gone a long way for them. I think that was part of what happened in the, the Mountain West title game against San Diego State. They just, they out physical the San Diego State team that's not used to being out physical by anybody. And I thought that was really impressive to see. And now they're going up against the Pac 12 team that I think is better than its record suggests. And I think is has some talented players that maybe some people aren't familiar with that this could be fun to watch. And I think that this is going to be a game that could be just one of those good old fashioned fun college football bowl games. 
1997, 2021. I guess that would make him 20. Logan Bonner is 25, and I think he has another year of eligibility left. Yeah, he, he might. He spent five years at Arkansas State with Blake Anderson, transferred uh, to Utah State to continue playing for Blake Anderson. Like you mentioned, the the story has been awesome. Watching this team uh, go just go through the ride that has been one of the most fun and competitive uh, conference title races. I mean, both of these divisions, even going into the final week, we had like any number of like six different matchups we could have in the Mountain West title game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for Utah State to not only make it to that title game, defeat San Diego State, the class of the conference, um, just really, really impressive stuff. Utah State, kind of a covering machine, covered six out of the past seven, including three and O straight up as an underdog. Oregon State in the postseason for the first time since 2013. And Utah State also, how about this? Five of the last six games have been wins by 20-plus. But that Utah State defense, as you mentioned, could have some trouble going up against the Oregon State run atta- rushing attack. Picks and predictions time, like, maybe over. I don't think the over is a bad play. I'm going to go Utah State just because, like we've talked about, they play hard. And I think that, you know, I always, for me, it's just a thing like, Oregon State's defense is not great either. They're 98th nationally in points per possession. They're 88th in success rate. It is always hard for me to trust bad defenses as favorites, especially when they're like about a touchdown or so. So I'm probably going to take Utah State here. Uh, of course. Definitely going to be on Utah State and sprinkle the money line. Mm-hmm. This is a yeah. 50-50 game. Let's mm-hmm. go. Uh, all right. And then finally, our nightcap on Saturday, uh, here on Saturday, 9-15 Eastern uh, in the Superdome in New Orleans, now the Caesars Superdome, Louisiana. I mean, Louisiana playing in the Superdome with a late kick on the first Saturday of uh, the postseason. This is a this is just right right where you want to be. Marshall is the opponent from Conference USA. The Raging Cajuns are five point favorites. Uh, they have they promoted internally to replace Billy Napier. This will be his first game as head coach. Over or under fifty five and a half. Um, I haven't. Louisiana was really good. They were 12 and one this year. They had the division wrapped up in like mid October. I still don't want to take the team that has a whole bunch of super seniors of the coach that just left. Just seems, yeah, it seems like I'd want to stay away from that. Yeah. This is definitely a live bet kind of game. Cause you want to see how Louisiana comes out to start. Because like you said, this is, this is a team where like Billy Napier had sec job offers last year turned him down, comes back because he thought part of his thought process had to be, I've got my entire team coming back. We just won the Sun Belt. We might win the Sun Belt again. We might go undefeated. Hell, we might get a New Year's Six Bowl out of it if we're ranked highly enough and like Cincinnati ever loses a game, which it never did. And so like they all come back with that goal in mind. Win the conference, maybe get a New Year's Six Bowl. They won the conference. They didn't get the New Year's Six Bowl. And then Billy Napier takes the Florida job because his gamble paid off instead of no offense to South Carolina, but instead of South Carolina, he's getting Florida Florida. and you can win national titles in Florida. It's been proven. So you just have to wonder now with everything that's going on at Louisiana, like all those guys that came back might be like, all right, well, mission accomplished. This game is, you know, not that important to us, especially to like for some teams and players, you'd have to think for a bowl as a reward to go somewhere all right, maybe they're amped up. Maybe they're ready for it. But for Louisiana to make the trip from Lafayette to New Orleans, which most of these players I'm pretty sure have done a few times already, and it's not like you're going on a vacation anywhere. I don't know what level of excitement there is for that. And then this is a Marshall team that was inconsistent all year. Charles House first season, like too many turnovers, but 
they are fun to watch on offense. And this is a big thing for them to get to go to New Orleans for a bowl game, to face the Sun Belt champion, to kind of build some momentum going into year two. So I think that if you look at the motivation angles for this game, you have to lean in Marshall's direction. But if you just look as far as a talent and team perspective, Louisiana is the better team. So that's really what it's going to come down to, which team wants to be there. If Louisiana wants to be there and plays hard, I don't think Marshall can win this game. Louisiana... At, even if Louisiana wins this game, I don't think that I would trust them to uh, be able to just blow Marshall out of the water. Yeah. I think that's why five is nice. Like five makes me attracted to maybe jumping on the herd there just because um, like remember the Sunbelt last time we saw Louisiana, the Sunbelt championship game felt mm-hmm. like they were just absolutely owning App State pretty much from the jump. Final margin, eight points. Yeah. It did not feel at any time like this was a one-score game with an outcome that was in doubt. The outcome seemed certain for 45 minutes of game time. Mm-hmm. Eight points. So maybe maybe we could see something similar here where Louisiana wins, but you know Marshall's able to get inside that number. Yeah, it's like Go ahead. You have to kind of think of Louisiana as somewhat of an option team in that even their th- passes are just really extensions of their run game. <laughs> like there's a whole lot of short RPO passes. There's not a lot of deep vertical shots. So it's like even when they're throwing, they're kind of just running the ball and the clock is very rarely stopping in their games. Very, very good point. Well, uh, ran a little bit longer than we are going to for most bowl season dailies. And you want to know why, Tom? Because there's not another bowl season day that has six games. Even cherish it while you can. It's the last kind of Saturday of the season. Even December 31st and January 1st, I, I think there are about five games each. So the in celebration bowl, of course, uh, I would I would bet on Jackson State. I'm yes. not standing, I'm not standing in the way of this locomotive no. that is Deion Sanders right now. Don't lose money betting against Jackson State. Don't don't do that. Just no. Just take Jackson State. Um, he is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bowl season daily will be back in your feed on Monday morning for a look at the Myrtle Beach Bowl between ODU and Tulsa. Uh, we will also be back with the full group uh, for Monday's show, which I believe will be in the afternoon. If not, we'll update you. Subscribe so that you can get it and you don't have to keep track of our holiday schedule. Smash the bell. Smash it. And you can get notifications anytime we're live at youtube.com slash cover three. And if you subscribe to the audio platform, there we go. It gets delivered right to your device. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.